we have a, a rather lengthy scripture to read this morning. And I went back and forth. Do I read it all? Do I not read it all? And then I had to ask myself, well, if you don't read it all, what are you telling people? That's not important. Uh, and really, if we think about it, I don't know how many of you are readers, but if you read a novel, you, you read a whole chapter, and then sometimes, you're like, oh, I can't go to bed, and you read the next one and the next one. But when it comes to Scripture, we're like, well, a few verses is good enough, I guess. Uh, we, we can read uh, a decent chunk of Scripture together, so I want to do that. Uh, John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. Here is the, the written word of God. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him take, talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's, it is still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. 
Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, there's a lot going on there. A lot. Uh, and, and I actually think that there's more going on in this story than we typically recognize. If you've been around church for a while, you have heard this one. You know this one. This is usually preached, and I have preached, that this is a sinful, adulterous woman who has her sins exposed by Jesus, and she is radically transformed as she finds grace in and through Jesus. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but it makes some assumptions and might miss the overall point. See, we assume that this woman was adulterous because Jesus says that she's had five husbands and the man she's with now is not her husband. But it's possible that she was married five times and each of them died. And now she might be a little wedding weary. I mean, after five weddings, uh, do, you, do you really want another one? I mean, one was enough for me. Uh, it was great, by the way. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Stick to the script. Stick to the script. Uh, I, I've read commentaries. I've heard preachers preach that the only reason uh, that this woman had for going to the well at midday, the scripture is very clear. Uh, he, Jesus was there about noon and a Samaritan woman shows up. Scholars, many preachers have said the only reason she would have to go there at noon was to avoid all the other people who were getting water. Uh, because it we, we think it was customary to get water earlier in the morning and maybe later in the evening. And, and we make some assumptions there. It's more speculation. And, and maybe she just needed water. Maybe it was noon and she ran out. We don't know. We forget. We also forget that a woman in those times had no means to divorce her husband. So if her husbands didn't die... Then it was they who divorced her. We attribute a lot to this woman that the scripture just doesn't tell us. What we know is that she has been married five times and she is now with someone who is not her husband. And so what if this story, this encounter with Jesus, is actually, and I'm, I better stop for a second. You got to listen all the way through today or you are going to be very upset with me. Listen all the way through. What, what if what's actually going on here is a marriage proposal to this Samaritan wedding-weary widow and by virtue to everyone everywhere? See, there's something very interesting and at the same time very strange going on here. Jesus is tired, so he approaches the well to rest. John tells us it was about noon, and assuming those who heard the Gospel of John also knew the Old Testament, they would have perked up a little bit. Oh, Jesus is at the well. It's about noon. 
And they would have they been paying a little closer attention now because the scene is set. They've heard this before. This is a marriage proposal waiting to happen. One commentator I, I read called it a biblical type scene, which means this happens again and again and again in the Bible. It just means that multiple times this type of scene plays out. For example, in Genesis... Isaac's bride is found at a well by Abraham's servant. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story because we don't have time. But Isaac, his wife, is found by Abraham's servant at a well. Moses finds his future bride at a well as he sits at the edge of the well. And for our story today, maybe the most telling is the story of Jacob, who finds his bride at a well at about noon. And it is Jacob who has given this very well to the people who live there. Jesus is sitting at it. And in all of these stories, there's a pattern. So uh, stick with me here. Stick with me. Uh, The pattern is, number one, a future bridegroom or his surrogate travels to a foreign land. Where is Jesus? In Samaria, a foreign land. Uh, two, he encounters a girl or a, a group of girls at, or women at a, a well. There's a woman at the well. Three, one of these characters draws water from the well. I don't know if that happened here. Uh, they kind of go back and forth about who's going to get the water. Uh, but the, the scene is there as well. Number four, the girl or group of, uh, of, of women goes home to tell about the encounter with the stranger. That happens here. The woman goes back to town and tells everyone, he told me everything I've ever done. And five, a betrothal is arranged and concluded usually following a meal. We're missing that part. In this story, we're missing that part. And so here is Jesus. I got to say it again. Stick with me. Stick with me. I promise I'm not a heretic. I don't think. Uh, uh, Here is Jesus in a foreign land. He encounters a woman at a well. Jesus asks for a drink. The woman goes home and tells everyone about her encounter with Jesus. The only part missing is that they don't actually get betrothed or share a meal. It's not that the, the question of food is missing from the story, because if you, you paid attention when I was reading, the disciples say to Jesus, eat, eat something. They, they plead with him to eat something, and Jesus refuses. He, he tells them, no, I have food you know nothing about. And they're really confused about that. But, but Jesus' response is that his food is from doing the will of God the Father and carrying out the mission that God has given him. So here we are with all of the elements, except one, uh, of this biblical type scene marriage proposal. Anybody uncomfortable? Anybody uncomfortable this morning? Well, the disciples were too. The disciples were really uncomfortable. And... and and the, the Samaritan woman was, was uncomfortable as well. Jesus is doing some things that just weren't done. He, he's at the well, and, and he is associating with a Samaritan. That was a big no-no for the Jewish people. In fact, so much so that they usually wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would take the long route around Samaria and the, like down a mountain around Samaria, then back up a mountain so that they could get into the Galilee. That's how much they tried to avoid Samaria. And here Jesus is talking with a Samaritan. And not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. 
Men and women did not associate in public in those days. And so Jesus is talking to a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman at that, at a well, by himself. And so when his disciples come, they're like, what, what's going on here? What do you, they, don't, they don't have the, the, the gumption to ask, but and they're thinking, what is happening here? Some, this isn't quite right. Uh, so so why, why was Jesus asking her for a drink? What is going on here? Well, what we have here is a marriage proposal of sorts, but it isn't Jesus proposing to the Samaritan wedding-weary woman, wedding-weary widow, nor is he, or, and she's not proposing to him. So we're clear on that, right? Because I don't want to get in trouble. Jesus is not proposing to this woman, and she is not proposing to him, but there is a marriage proposal of sorts happening here. What we have here is Jesus revealing his identity as the Messiah who has come to wed all people to God. Not just some, not just the the Jewish people. Jesus the Messiah has come that all people might be wed to God. Jesus Messiah is not just for those who worship, worship in Jerusalem. And he won't be confined to those who worship on Samaria's holy mountain. Instead, all who are wed to God through the Spirit of God will worship in spirit and in truth. In fact, the whole reason Jesus has gone into Samaria is that it was the will of God. We didn't read this. We read a lot. But we didn't read verse 4. Which we, and that, in verse 4, it says, it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria. Well, it wasn't necessary for him to get where he was going to go through Samaria. He could have gone the long way. That's the, the scripture's way of saying it was the will of God the Father that Jesus would go through Samaria. Why? To reveal his Messiahship to who? To these people that were written off, that were supposed to be the Jewish people's enemy. Jesus is, has good news for them. You, too, are included in this marriage proposal of sorts. You too can be a part of God's family. So Jesus, being obedient to God the Father, he goes through Samaria and has this encounter with the wedding-weary Samaritan woman, an encounter where they go back and forth about drawing water from the well, and Jesus ultimately reveals that he is the Messiah. The Messiah is led by God the Father through Samaria so that they might know that God is up to something more than the redemption of the Jewish people. It is the redemption of the whole world. And all who will worship in spirit or through the spirit and in truth will be invited to the missing part of this marriage proposal. Do you remember what was missing? It was a meal. It was a meal. A feast. The scriptures often talk about the the church or the believers as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians, like you didn't know you were getting this today, but I'm just I'm reading a bunch of scripture. Here we go. Uh, in Ephesians five twenty five through twenty seven, it says, "Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church." without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So the church is a bride. We're talking about a marriage proposal here. Uh, Jesus is essentially 
proposing to the very bride of Christ, the church, and saying all can be a part of it. All are welcome to be a part of, uh, of the church or, or, or God's people. And, and in that passage, I don't know if you caught it because I'm talking too fast and maybe read too fast, uh, but uh, there, there's, uh, when Jesus talks about living water, what does that mean? Well, in those days, living water was moving water. And so a, a river would be living water, uh, anything that wasn't stagnant or, or still. And, and here we're told in this Ephesians passage that the church is washed with water through the word. Well, if you're washed with water, you pour water, uh, it's moving, washed with the very living water of God, cleansed by the living water of God. And the church is like a bride, wed to Jesus. What about uh, Psalm 23? I'm not going to read it, uh, but uh, Psalm 23, there's a, a, a part that I, I just love where it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And it also says, my cup overflows. And, and what's the imagery there? Uh, the, the imagery, it, it, it's, it's as if God is reminding us there, there is plenty. There is plenty for all and that the overflowing cup is a sign to bring more and more and more to the table. Bring more people to the feast. Invite everybody to come and participate in this feast that, that God has set, that God has prepared. He is the host and, and, and also the, the guest. Uh, but God is the one preparing this. A cup that overflows. There is an enough for everybody. And might that be living water again? flowing out of this cup for everyone who would receive it. One more. Revelation 19, 6 through 9 says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, catch this, like the roar of rushing waters and like, and like a loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. And, and fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then in verse 9 it says, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Huh. So what was missing in our, our marriage proposal today? A feast. But what does God tell us throughout Scripture is to come? A wedding. Where the very bride of Christ will be wed to Jesus, the church, all of God's people will be wed to Jesus, and what will ensue? A feast. Ooh, a feast. A feast, a meal, a banquet, the wedding supper of the Lamb. So those are just three passages of Scripture that talk about the church or followers of God who, will, who eat with God, who are cleansed by water, whose voices are like living or rushing water, and in the end there is a wedding feast, a marriage supper. So again, there was one element missing today in this gospel that John 
reveals to us. And it was that feast, it was the meal, and so this same Jesus who refused to eat that day because he knew he still had more work to do as he followed the very will of God the Father, that same Jesus knows and is, in, is inviting the wedding-weary Samaritan woman and all the people from her town, all these people from that Samaritan town, and anyone else who would worship God in spirit and in truth to come to the wedding feast that God is preparing. That same Jesus is proposing a wedding, not to the Samaritan woman, but to, and not to any one person. That same Jesus is revealing his identity as the Messiah who has come to make all believers a part of the bride of Christ we call the church. I don't know if you remember what Pastor Tabitha preached last week, but she, she reminded us uh, uh, from John chapter 3, and there's the, the famous John 3.16 uh, and then 17, for God so loved the world he gave, I got to do King James, sorry. For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God, he did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. How did our scripture end today? It was the Samaritans believing that redemption was for all of the world. This marriage proposal is for all of the world. Have I said that enough? Are you catching on? So my question for us all is this. And this might seem like a little leap. Stick with me again. Uh, are we generous as Jesus was? Are we as generous as Jesus was? Because Jesus was incredibly generous with that woman. He really culturally should have not had nothing to do with her. But he just talked to her. He just talked to her. They did what conversation does, at least good conversation. There was one person says something, somebody responds. Then there's another response, and, and, and back and forth. And uh, they even got into some religious issues. They, they didn't steer clear of anything. They just had conversation. Jesus, Jesus met her where she was and, and, and who she was, he met her on level ground. Jesus was incredibly generous towards her. And so are we generous in conversation with anyone that we meet? Are we generous with our love? Or do we see others as lower than us and unworthy? Or do we truly believe that Jesus came to seek and to save all people? So we've been, the last few weeks, uh, We've been encouraging some Lenten disciplines, or, or, or really, they're, they're not even just for Lent. Spiritual practices. The first week, I, I encouraged you to, to practice fasting of some sort. Last week, uh, Pastor Tabitha reminded us that silence, in order to hear from God, is a spiritual discipline. This week, our discipline is, and hopefully we just live these always, but our, our discipline is generosity. Generosity and uh, Traditionally, it's called almsgiving, but I'm going to call it generosity. To be generous in all that we do. Generous with our time. Generous with our love. Generous with our money. Generous with our food. Generous with whatever it is. To be generous towards others. And in our generosity, may we resemble our generous God who has proposed to the world a union with him that results in redemption and restoration and so my hope is that we will be just as generous with others as God has been towards us, right? Like, we can place ourselves in, in the, the scripture, in the story, and realize 
God has been so generous towards us, forgiving and kind, uh, meeting us where we are, loving again and again and again. And as we recognize that, that we will be the same towards others, that we will discover anew the joy of being Christ's bride, the church, and we will invite more and more people to the feast to be a part of that. I'm going to pray as the, the worship team makes their way up. Would you join me? God, we, we give thanks that you ha- have gifted the scriptures to us. And even though we've heard stories so many times, you teach us new things. And, and what you've been teaching me, and I hope each of us this week, is just how generous in love you are. That you are a Messiah who isn't just for one person or a particular people, but you have come for the very redemption of the world. And that is gracious, full of love. Would you help us to receive it with thanksgiving? To give you praise just as those Samaritan people did when they found out you were a Messiah for them too? that we would offer you glory and honor and praise, and that we wouldn't be content to keep it for ourselves, but that we would go out and we would love our neighbors in the same way that you've loved us, that we would invite more and more people to the wedding feast, knowing that there is room for everyone, there is food enough for everyone, there is drink enough for everyone, and there is enough, in fact, overflowing love the love of God for each and every person. God, make us generous like you've been towards us, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.